The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he is also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Great, Father. It's good to see you. Yes, definitely. Great to be here again. Father, there's a lot going on, a lot that we uh, have to discuss tonight. Um, a lot going on north of the border in Canada that we uh, wanted to talk about tonight, but um, we thought uh, it might be best to begin with a, a topic that uh, we, you mentioned on a, a previous program about the uh, Canadian residential schools and the uh, supposed mass graves that were discovered there and blamed uh, blamed the, the Catholic Church, no sort of Catholic Church at least for this. and. Uh, we received a, a great email from one of our viewers who actually uh, lives in Canada and is very acquainted with the situation, and I uh, thought give a great synopsis of this. So if I could just read through this email, Father, there's some great information in here, as I say. Uh, so this viewer wrote in and said that he had just listened to Father Jenkins mentioning of the quote-unquote mass graves of the Aboriginal children in Canada, which resulted from the residential school program of the federal government. It is alleged by the Canadian media and others that as many of these schools were run by the missionary oblates of Mary Immaculate and other orders, the complicity of the Catholic Church in Canada is clear. But Father Jenkins is correct, there are no mass graves. Why? Because they did not occur. Rather, there were graves of priests, nuns, other adults who worked at the schools, and some children. These people died of pneumonia, tuberculosis, and other diseases, and were buried near the schools in graveyards. There was no way to send the children's bodies hundreds, <clears throat> some over a thousand miles away, and the federal government refused to do so. Uh, they refused to pay to do so. Over many years, the wooden markers deteriorated, and so markers were gone for all who were buried in the graveyards. The schools had very little federal money to operate, in fact, so little money that only priests and nuns who were paid next to nothing would do the work. You should know that the Catholic Church did not want to be part of the residential school program, but in effect was forced into participating. Uh, he also says he is acquainted with uh, one of the lawyers who actually represented the 52 Catholic entities in the Canadian residential school settlement. Uh, I said he's had many discussions about this, and he says that one party... Uh, after they all agreed that the deal was fair, clear, and everyone agreed to it, he says the one party now has buyer's remorse, and the Canadian bishops have declared that they will pay $30 million beyond the agreement. Uh, but essentially they mean the laity, who are the lower and middle class, who contribute through the Sunday offerings. He says, I can assure you that there is outrage among many, many of the laity. The words are expressed in this statement, which I have heard from priests and the laity. It is time for the bishops to get off their knees. He says he has uh, great, there's so much more that could be said about this, Father, uh, but it's almost too, too uh, he provided some links, but he said they're almost too voluminous to read. 
Um, but what's what's your response to this, Father? What actually happened with the Canadian residents? Well, thank schools? you for uh, forwarding that message on to me, Tom. I appreciate reading that. In fact, the gentleman had some very nice comments to make about the program, too, and uh, I'm very complimentary toward you and even yours truly. So we appreciate the kindness and the support expressed. This gentleman uh, actually was very close to the legal proceedings, okay, involving this case. And uh, so he knows what he's talking about. I mean, he said it's okay to reveal his name, but I'd rather, rather not, you know, just <clears throat> because of the, of the climate going on right now. Uh, recriminations are unpleasant with uh, the leftists. I just wouldn't want to expose him to any wrath of the leftists, but I can tell you that he, he's, uh, he knows what he's talking about here. <clears throat> there are no mass graves, right? This was a complete fabrication. And uh, the, of course, the mainstream media in Canada jumped on it and, and publicized all over the place uh, based on just uh, frivolous allegations uh, with no evidence whatsoever. Politicians, of course, jumped on it. Um, and then the churches began to burn. Within a year's time, 56 churches were burned to the ground in Canada. And uh, the prime minister, a man named Justin Trudeau, uh, took about almost three weeks to even make a comment about the burning of the churches. And what he did, he said that, uh, of course, it's not right to burn churches or anything else for that matter. And uh, for that matter, he said it, it is shameful to burn churches. That's the expression he used. They're not criminal, but shameful. And yet understandable. He said it's understandable that there is so much anger because of the shameful history behind this referring pri primarily to the church itself. <clears throat> you see the, the residential schools, and by the way, uh, I think somebody might have got the idea that I call them daycare centers. I don't recall having referred to them as daycare centers. If I did, I apologize, because they certainly were not daycare centers at all. But I, I don't recall ever having said that. Um, someone evidently got the idea I did. Actually, they were much more than that. They were residential schools, basically quasi-orphanages, but the parents were still alive. These children were taken from their families, and they were families of native Canadians, that is, indigenous Canadians, who um, uh, well, basically they were targeted by the Canadian federal government because their children were destined in the eyes of the politicians to grow up as full-fledged Canadians. They were not going to be raised in their native cultures by their own natural parents. <clears throat> they had to be kind of enculturated <clears throat> into the Canadian mold. That's what these uh, residential schools were designed to do. Take these children from their parents, hold them there. And uh, the religious, the Catholic religious, did, were only reluctantly accepted this. Uh, there are even those who claim that they were kind of strong-armed into, into minding these schools. And the reason why the religious were reluctant to do it is because they didn't believe in taking these children from their parents. Um, the church has always uh, said that, I mean, you can't even baptize a child against the will of his parents, you know, unless the child is in danger of death. So the idea of, of seizing children and taking them into government uh, orphanages and, and raising them according to the government's mind, I mean, this is typical of leftists. This is the type of thing that men like... Justin Trudeau would do, even though he was kind of apologizing for it. Uh, this was the mentality. I mean, Trudeau wants everybody to conform. 
uh, to the government, and no one can question it. And to question is is criminal now, okay, because of the Emergencies Act that he's invoked. And uh, so this is the kind of mentality that went into seizing these children and putting them in, in these in these residential schools. And uh, did children die there? Yes, of course, died of many things. You know, uh, uh, children uh, have died for centuries and centuries of all kinds of disease at home or in orphanages, in schools, and so on. Pneumonia and so on. Many, you know, the infant, the infant mortality rate was very high. And uh, the idea that there were mass unmarked graves of children it was a complete myth invented by the enemies of, well, the enemies of the church, for one. And uh, the fact is, as our writer says, uh, these graves were unmarked because the wooden crosses that were put there had simply, uh, you know, disintegrated over the years. It's not that they weren't marked graves. Uh, they were. And remember, the, the, pro the, the whole program uh, of the residential schools in Canada uh, began back in the 1880s, perhaps 1888 or something like that, and lasted until 1996. So this was going on a long time. <clears throat> a lot of these graves were very old, and um, they were buried, you know, not far from the school, I guess on the, on the grounds of these schools, but uh, the traces of the graves had uh, disintegrated away over time. It's not that they were, they were not unmarked mass graves, you know, that has connotations that are really sinister <clears throat> and um, but in any case the, the grace were of the priests and the nuns you know who had served there some children inevitably also and as our writer points out the government wasn't going to uh, take the bodies of the children and ship them back by rail uh, sometimes you know hundreds thousands thousands of miles across Canada um, so the same callous government that took the children in the first place wasn't going to return them. So they just had them buried there on the grounds. Uh, but of course, you know, the, the, the propaganda against the church to say, well, this is what the church was doing back in the, in the old days. You see all the evil that the church was up to. And of course, uh, you know, there are some uh, people who react in anger and... Uh, hatred, go out and burn the churches down. And you're going to be sure they weren't the modern churches, that they were the old, real Catholic churches uh, that were built before Vatican II, and the Novus Ordo came in, that these are the ones who were the most vulnerable for burning. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, in any case, I think it's very important to point out that even though Justin Trudeau um, eventually did uh, talk about what a what a shame it was these churches were being burned down and saying that, well, you know, we, we know so much better, more now than we did then, and we've learned a lot, and we realize that this was all wrong. But I still would say that he's, he's the kind of politician who, who did this, you know, same mentality. And uh, essentially he would do the same thing. He would have no compunction about whatsoever, I believe, about seizing the children of the truckers to educate them and to establish re-education camps. <clears throat> you know, uh, you've heard of the, well, the Uyghurs, the, uh, the Muslim sect that is being persecuted in communist China right now. In fact, detention camps, the Uyghurs were just, I don't know, football field measures away from where the Olympics were going on, right? 
people have pointed that out with all the glitz of the Olympics and so on. One world they showed with the Star of David at the end of the Olympics, sir. Um, but not for the Uyghurs, right? Uh, because they are considered to be, well, they're political, they're political uh, uh, prisoners, is what they are. They're in prison, they're in concentration camps, and they are being tortured to death, re-educated. You know what Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping is the one who insisted on establishing these, these concentration camps, the Uyghurs, and you know what they referred to by the Chinese Communist Party? As um, vocational education and training centers. Okay. That's officially what they are. And uh, the, the official story of the <clears throat> Communist Party of China is that this is an effort to combat global terrorism. Right? They have to re-educate these people uh, away from their, their global terrorism. This all came about supposedly after the, um, the 9-11 attack here in the United States, in New York. And so the communist Chinese saw an opportunity to set up concentration camps, vocational training, re-education camps, okay, to combat global terrorism. Now, what is, what is going on in, in uh, Canada right now? In the name of combating terrorism. It's all about combating terrorism, right? So now we've, we've defined any disagreement with the government as being terrorism, right. which is exactly what communists, Nazis, any, any flavor of, uh, of uh, tyrant you want appeals to the same thing. And basically a terrorist is anybody who challenges his power. And that's what's going on in Canada right now. The invocation of the emergency side. <clears throat> so uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the, the female organizer of the trucker convoy, Freedom Convoy, has been arrested, is now in jail, and denied bail. She's going to be held, uh, basically, who knows, she's being threatened with 10 years, maybe 15 years in prison. For what? For what? There was absolutely no act of violence, which has, has shocked me. You know, we saw the, the truckers there, and we didn't see a single act of violence that I know of, and it would have been all over the, all over the news if, you, if they had. Uh, I mean, what, one little old lady was accused of throwing her bicycle at a horse, right? One of the, when that was, of course, that's a bald-faced lie. It's very patent what happened, but it doesn't matter, because when you have absolute power like that, and no one dares resist you. You can tell any lie you want, no matter how outrageous it is. In fact, the more outrageous the lie is, the more it's sort of like smirking at everybody and daring them to contradict you. Um, and that's the situation. That's what's prevailing in Canada right now. So, uh, you know, the, the truckers were, were provoked. They were incredibly provoked. And I, it was with the grace of God that held them back. I was asking for prayers for them. But I wasn't, I was asking for prayers and hoping that they would be successful, but at the same time, I really didn't think they knew what they were dealing with. Yeah. Because they weren't dealing with Justin Trudeau. I mean, he's, he's nothing, right? He's a political mannequin, basically. <clears throat> um, but they were dealing with the entire globalist World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, all of the communists and national socialists of history, are concentrated basically 
and demanding that Justin Trudeau crush this movement, right? Crush this rebellion. Um, and uh, so Justin Trudeau was going to be backed up by all the globalist forces. I mean, the people have been sending out pictures of United Nations airplanes on the ground uh, in Canada, not far from Ottawa. Uh, they, they just mysteriously appeared there overnight. Uh, United Nations airplanes, and uh, and then we found the, the the troops in strange uniforms standing there in the streets, <clears throat> attacking them, right, threatening them, the, the truckers, and they didn't know where they'd come from. Who are these people? What are these uniforms? Couldn't identify them, and the it's pathetic because the truckers were there appealing to them. I mean, we're with you. You're on. We stand with you. You know we. You're, you're, well, you're on, you are us, you know, you are Canadians like us, but maybe they weren't, we don't know. Uh, there's no doubt about it. If, if, if President Biden would fly thousands of illegal, I call them immigrant children, from the southern border by night, by night flights, fly thousands of them all over the country, and disgorge them from the airplanes under the tarmac of our the airports in our cities and just dump them there. Why would the United Nations not fly in a few hundred troops of their own, uh, foreign nationals into Canada, to back up the resolve of whatever Canadian police could be convinced to attack their own people? Um, in fact, it was quite a while ago I was reading a... a an account by leftists saying that when the time comes that we have to put down uh, the American people, and when they, if, they, if they rise up to rebel against uh, socialism, we will have to fly in uh, Gurkhas. We have to fly in Gurkha, marksmen and fighters, because American police and soldiers will not fire on their own people, will not beat up their own people. So we'll have to bring foreign fighters in to subdue the American people. So that's been on the, been on the table for at least 30, 40 years now. So, um, you know, the story was spread that they brought in uh, police from Ontario, Montreal, because the French still carry a grudge against the, the British provinces, right? And they would have no problem beating up truck, British truckers and so on. Well, the truckers actually came up from all over Canada, and they were truly a, uh, an inter-province group. I mean, they weren't from just from Ottawa or one of the British provinces. <clears throat> and, um, but they had to try to explain somehow where these foreign police came from and why they were so willing to uh, attack. And of course, the message is, um, you know, well, they had to be fellow Canadians because, you know, obviously, where else would we get police to beat you up? Um, but the Canadian truckers were brutalized and they never raised a hand, hardly even to defend themselves, let alone, let alone to uh, strike back. Um, in fact, they were just protesting. We did everything we could to avoid confrontation. That's what they say. We, almost as though they're bewildered. We did everything we could to avoid provocation. And so what, what happened? I mean, why is this happening? The answer is because they protested. Uh, and because they protested, 
they were considered rebels and therefore terrorists. And they're dealing with a tyrannical dictatorial government, uh, which is not only a Canadian government, it's not really a Canadian government at all, right? But it is a worldwide, a globalist government they're coming up against right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they, ha- they had to make an example out of them. They had to so completely crush them that they would send a, a cold shockwave throughout the world warning anybody who would dare raise, a ha- raise their voice even, let alone raise a hand against them. They never dare do that mm-hmm. because they will be pitilessly um, beaten down, Im- imprisoned, put away. I mean, look, look at it this way. We have Nancy Pelosi's political prisoners in Washington, D.C. right now from January 6th, right? They're buried alive in the gulag, the Nancy Pelosi gulag, gulag Pelosi. Uh, they're waiting without charges, right? Um, no bail, most of them, and so on, hundreds of them, literally. So if I ask you to pray for the woman who is now imprisoned uh, as a political prisoner now of Justin Trudeau, her name is Tamara Lich, I think, L-I-C-H, I guess that's how her name is pronounced. I would ask you to pray for her, because she's being held now as a political prisoner, right? Uh, would-be terrorist, at least that's what Trudeau would like to style her. But for her, there are several hundred of our own Americans who are being held in a prison in Washington, D.C. as political terrorists after they were incited uh, by FBI agents in the crowd on January 6th in, uh, in Washington. So uh, anyway, this is, uh, this is the situation that we've, we're facing right now. And the amazing thing, Tom, is that with all of the, the, the great theater going on in the media about Ukraine, um, it seems like people are so focused on the, the, the beating of the war drums over in, in the Ukraine that the revolution that's happening across the border in Canada What's coming across the border, our southern borders, right? The tyranny that's going on in Cuba right now, we're not paying any attention to that. That's like a minor footnote. That really doesn't concern us nearly as much as the Ukraine and Putin's intentions in the Ukraine, which just goes on and on and on. It's all... It's all meant to be a distraction. But the really, really strange thing is <clears throat> the woman who is the deputy for Justin Trudeau, her name is Christia Freeland. She's the finance minister in, in uh, Canada right now. She has now announced, well, not only did she, as soon as the Emergencies Act was put into place, was declared by Trudeau, she got on uh, national television. She announced that she was expanding the act to include other things, just motu propria, just of her, of her own doing. She just said, well, we're also going to include this. We're going to freeze their accounts, but not only our bank accounts, but their crypto accounts, and we're going to freeze this, we're going to seize that. She, she acknowledged it's not really in, in the provision, but we're just going to do it anyway, right? Now, this is what tyranny is, right? 
And then shortly thereafter, she came out and said, and I'm going to make this permanent. Forget the Emergency Act, which is only temporary, supposedly. I'm going to make this permanent. My, my permanent powers are going to be to seize accounts. And the mayor of uh, Ottawa says, now we want to seize these trucks that were left behind as the truckers were driven off under fear of arrest or arrested, taken out of town and dumped out of town in the cold Canadian winter <clears throat> with no provisions. Um, but we want to sell off their trucks now to pay for the cost of all this. I mean, if this isn't tyranny, I don't know what it is. But what I'm saying, what is so ironic is that this woman, uh, Christia Freeland, her maternal grandfather was a Nazi propagandist in the, U in the Ukraine. He was one of the leading Nazi not national socialist propagandists. In the, in the press of the Ukraine. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? And she admires him. She's constantly praising him. But she never mentions his role as a leading propagandist for the Nazis. Uh, but she very much is cut from the same cloth. She's got that DNA. You can tell, you know, she's, she's got that same, same tyrannical, despotic DNA uh, that motivated the Nazis, you know, even though while she's denouncing the Nazis, she's not acknowledging why the grandfather she admires so much should be absolved of his Nazi uh, connections. They're rather formidable. So all of this is going back, and not only that, I mean, it's not, it's not ironic, actually, we could have expected this, but uh, a gentleman who has devoted his life to uh, basically developing vaccines and, uh, and uh, you know, monitoring them and so on, uh, wrote about this, actually. It's, it's rather interesting what he had to say, I think. Anyway, let me see if I can find that here, because I, I think you'd find that uh, somewhat interesting. He says, oh yeah, here, the next step for the World Economic Forum. Okay, this is really <clears throat> the globalist power that basically is controlling people like Trudeau. Uh, they have put their people in uh, leadership positions of governments throughout the world. They've infiltrated the governments of the world, okay? And uh, they basically make no bones about it. They've actually spoken about this. But this uh, article actually appeared on, uh, in um, Zero Hedge, which is <laughs> threatened with being shut down repeatedly, and actually at one point was, but the article is uh, by a man named Roger Coops, and uh, it came to Zero Hedge via the Brownstone Institute. Okay, this is dated February 21st, 2022. And uh, Roger Coops, who says, as a person who spent his whole professional career in pharmaceutical and vaccine development, I find the whole concept of going from scratch to a ready-to-use vaccine in a few months, simply preposterous. Well, rightly so, because when they start investigating the, uh, the patents, they find out that patents were in place before the vaccine ever hit. Strange. Well, how coincidental, right? As though they saw it coming. They certainly saw it coming. They predicted it. But this man, uh, Roger Coop, says he began to look into this because he found it so suspicious. 
because of the development, the strange, strange, unprecedented development of these so-called vaccines. And he said he followed, basically, he, he followed the list of those who are constantly involved in this whole vaccine caper. He gives the names. He says, if I give you the names of the following people, Biden, Trudeau, Ardern, Merkel, Macron, or Macron, Draghi, Morrison, Jin, Xi Jinping, what do you think that they all have in common? He says, yes, they are all pampered and stumble over themselves. But that is also not the connection. One can see very quickly that these names certainly connect to lockdown countries and individuals who have ignored their own laws and are tried in some way to usurp them. But he says there's more to it than that, and I will give a hint by providing a link with each name. And then he lists the names. Joseph Biden, President of the United States, Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister of New Zealand, Angela Merkel, former Prime Minister of Germany, Emmanuel Macron, President of France, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, Xi Jinping, CCP, uh, Chinese Communist Party leader of China, Mario Draghi, Prime Minister of Italy, Scott Morrison, Prime Minister of Austri Australia, all of them presiding over massive lockdowns, right? And he said, but then after listing these names, he says they are all associated with the World Economic Forum. They are all members of the World Economic Forum, WEF, a nonprofit private organization started in 1971 and headed by Klaus Schwab, who tells us that within 10 years, by, 19, by the year 2030, we will own nothing and we will be happy. The very essence of the message of Karl Marx, right? They'll have a, live in a blissful world without private property. The man's a communist, outnote communist, Marxist to the core. He says all of these people are embedded deeply in the World Economic Forum. He goes on, if you think that the World Economic Forum membership ends with just leaders of countries, try this. Gavin Newsom, also governor of California. Jay Inslee, governor of Washington State. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of, uh, what is it, Allergies and Infectious Diseases, right? But it comes to NIAID. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. And then he goes on, allow me to introduce more of the World Economic Forum, WEF, by giving a list of names for the Board of Trustees. <clears throat> Al Gore, former uh, Vice President of the United States. Mark Caney, UN Special Envoy for Climate Action. Christine Lagarde, President, European Central Bank. Um, Christia Freeland, Deputy Minister of Canada. This is the one I'm talking about, right? The one whose grandfather was the Nazi propagandist in the Ukraine. And who says that her powers are now going to be permanent. And of course, Lawrence Fink, Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock. Okay? Talk about the creature from the BlackRock Lagoon, right? I mean, that's, that's the guy, okay, BlackRock, which has its fingers over all of this corporate power in the world, right? Corporations ceding 
members of, of corporate boards throughout the world, and they all control and they all come back to BlackRock and they all come back to Vanguard. Right? So this is very interesting that this man who's actually, uh, you know, I think it is anyway, uh, very much steeped in, in uh, developing and, and testing and uh, just pharmaceuticals. His whole life has been divested to that. You can check it out. Roger Coops was actually starting to investigate why is this happening? And this is what he's found, all of this. So you see what's happening in Canada, and that's what I say. I was praying not only for the truckers in Canada um, that they would succeed, but I was actually praying that they would not be crushed. And yet they themselves say, no, we, we've been crushed. We had tried to do everything we could to avoid being crushed. We're crushed. Mm-hmm. And um, the question now is, well, what, what Justin Trudeau is doing basically really, is turning Canada, Canada into our North American version of Siberia. He's basically creating a North American Siberia. Because any, anybody in Canada right now who disagrees with the government is essentially suspected of terrorism, risks having his assets completely stolen by the government frozen by the government, and is basically a political prisoner. The people in Canada right now who don't agree with what's going on are essentially political prisoners of Justin Trudeau right now. One nation full of political prisoners. How else could you put it? What else would it be, really? And we owe it to a great deal to President Biden. And when, when, when Justin Trudeau was hiding from the truckers, It was was President Biden who said to him, use your federal powers. That's what he told him. And Justin Trudeau came out of hiding, began fortifying the fences around Parliament, and invoked the Emergency Act, Emergencies Act, and brought in the the SS. So, um, So maybe, you know, you... How much farther does it have to go before the entirety of the nation of Canada is considered a concentration camp? That's what the Chinese have uh, as vocational uh, centers for the Uyghurs. That nice, mm-hmm. and to re-educate them so that they. Well, th- didn't you have some kind of a citation there yourself from Trudeau himself saying uh, in the in the uh, in the discussions about. Whether or not the House of Commons would would uh, give him a pass on the Emergencies Act, they did, right? Mm-hmm. 185 to 151 along mm-hmm. party lines, the Liberal Party backing Trudeau yeah. and his usurpation of power. What what did he say, Tom? Well, he said lots of things, Father. Of course, uh, but he um, he said first of all that he didn't want to use the Emergencies Act, of but you know he. He had to do this. He it's was totally temporary too. Of yeah, course, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. he was forced to do this just because he. Yeah, they also the Nazis over. said the same thing. No, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we said the same thing here with uh, the well, two, well, that's two weeks to flat yeah, the, the curve. curve. That's true. Yeah. Um, but I thought one one um, one line in, in particular was uh, was good. He said, "Anyone who votes no tonight is indicating that they don't trust the government to make incredibly momentous and important decisions at a very difficult time." Wow. 
Oh, well, <laughs> exactly. But he wants to criminalize that. Yes. But they don't trust the government mm -hmm. to make important decisions. Yeah, but um, uh, he, he had all kinds that's of... That's the whole point of disagreeing and, having, and protesting. Right? Right, that's why right. you have governments. Yeah. But he, he had all kinds of, uh, I mean, very thinly veiled threats at anyone who would dare... It would dare to disagree and, and oh, yeah. vote no. Um, but really, you can, uh, his, uh, I don't know, pride and audacity is just palpable throughout this reading this. It's um, just incredible yeah. how it seems that uh, we talked about this a bit, how it's just, he is just trying to set up government as, as just an, an, a god. Um, it's infallible, every pronouncement it makes, every decision. Uh, that it that it decides every decree that it lays down is absolutely infallible. You cannot question it, um, and this is uh, this is not good. <laughs> no, it is not good, and anyone who does question it is a terrorist. Yes, must be reeducated or eliminated or buried alive in the gulag. Um, you know, it's it's so ironic that not only does he have a, a deputy, this uh, Christia Freeland. Um, you know, descendant of Nazi sympathizers and propagandists. But even Trudeau himself is, you know, now being rumored to be the illegitimate son of Fidel Castro. And what started as a kind of a goofy rumor, obviously, of somebody, it sounded like something the Babylon Bee would put out. You know? <laughs> but it's gained a lot of traction because they've been publishing photographs of him and next to a young Fidel Castro. And yeah. I mean, the resemblance is ironic, and I mean, it's, it's uncanny, and it's known that his mother, who was a very, well, you know, much younger than his father, and kind of a partier and socialite, uh, had a great crush on Fidel Castro. Now, what's really creepy is that the government has had to come out and say, well, no, no, that's, that's not true, and this is why. It's not that... You know, rather than just say this is an outrageous claim and we're going to sue anybody who says this, the government is actually providing reasons why, why it really couldn't be so. Not convincing, though. Isn't that strange? It is so peculiar. Um, but in any case, um, regardless of any physical resemblance, there certainly is a moral and intellectual resemblance between Fidel and Justin Trudeau. You know, there are those who actually support tyranny, whether it be National Socialism of the Nazis, right, Hitler, or Bolshevik World Socialism of Lenin, Stalin. It's all socialism. Uh, and the only difference, by the way, in, in all of these systems is uh, the bait. The trap is always socialism. Socialism is the way to get to the promised land. Okay. I mean, national socialists, it was the way for the superior race of Aryans to actually come to power and, and rise to a position of dominion in the world, right? This, is what, this was the way for the Aryan race to come into its own. Hitler had this great mission. You know, in his own mind. So, was he an ideologue? He was an ideologue, yes. He might not have started that way, but he, somewhere along the line, he, he became very much involved in the occult, probably as a means of perpetuating his power. And, and he, he got into this whole Aryan race thing, and it was an ideology that he got into. And this was the, this was the bait, basically, for the trap. The trap is always socialism. Same with Bolshevism. 
you know, with Marxism. Uh, what's the, the trap is socialism. We have to go under the trap to get the bait. What's the bait? Well, the bait is <clears throat> the worker's paradise that eventually will result from it when we take away all private property, and that is by force of government, uh, just by forcibly taking private property away from everyone, <clears throat> is held by the government in the name of the people, and when all private property disappears, then the government itself will no longer be necessary, so it will just kind of wither away. All the government people will just go home at that point. Uh, I mean, you'd have to laugh at that if it weren't so, weren't so tragically ludicrous. <clears throat> and then we'll have communism, and it'll be a perfect world of paradise. That's the bait. Okay, so whatever the different bait is that they give you, it's always socialism, socialism, socialism is the way to get there to the promised land, wherever it may be in your dreams. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, does, does, does Justin Trudeau have the intellect or the will to actually have any convictions? Does he actually have any convictions? There are those who are ideologues who follow fatally the, the path of their ideology to ultimate destruction, not only of themselves, but hundreds, millions of others. <clears throat> not, Hitler was one, Stalin another, right? But, you know, you look at it just, and, and Fidel possibly also. But you look at it just Justin Trudeau and you ask, does he have even the, the intellect or the will to have any convictions of his own? To have any ideology of his own? Um... Not really. I mean, uh, you know, Hitler inspired people with uh, lies. Stalin inspired people with lies, right? They were inspiring anyway, even though they were the lies, with the fables. As St. Paul says, piling up fables to themselves. But, he, you know, Justin Trudeau is anything but inspiring. In fact, if you look around at any of them, Biden or the rest of them, it's like they're puppets, like there's, there's, they're, they're just kind of stuffed shirts or whatever, uh, empty suits or whatever you want to call them. There's nothing inspiring about any of them. And so the reason that I say that is because I just get the impression they're just basically in it for themselves, right? Narcissists and opportunists. And they found a, a ticket to come to power, and uh, that's the one thing that they care about. Um, Having power, getting power, and hanging on to it at any cost. Um, I don't know which is worse, to have someone like that uh, following the ideologues as a stool or as a stooge of the, of, the, of the ideologues, or to have an ideologue like a Hitler or, or a Stalin, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, though, it's, it's not of God, it's very evil. And, uh, you know, it's definitely... It's definitely uh, a scourge for humanity to have such people uh, in leadership, at power, in positions of power, to control their lives. <clears throat> and this is ultimately what they do. They want to control people's lives. Are you implying, though, Father, that there is some other organization or some other group of people that actually is uh, managing these, these puppets? Well, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, you, you go through the names of those who've been prominent through all this lockdown business and so on, as uh, Coops does, and yes, you, you begin to see the same names coming up, and they all seem to lead back to a certain corporate entities, such as BlackRock and Vanguard, and they all come back to certain uh, political entities, as much as they're non-profit and private 
for example, the World Economic Forum, they all seem to lead back, they, they lead back to Davos and, um, and so on. But they're, it's always the same cabal. Uh, it's like a cartel that is <clears throat> syndicate, <laughs> what you want. But it's the same individuals who are actually pulling the strings behind them all. Ultimately, I think it is, uh, you know, world masonry, but I think it is a special group of um, Masons who are actually Kabbalistic Jews, not real Jews in the sense, descendants of Abraham, who still hold to and practice the Jewish religion as such. But I think the political Jews, like the Sanhedrin of old, who come together and are actually um, ultimately directing the whole thing. I mean, the church has said so in the past, and in sacred scripture, we, we read about those who say they are Jews, but they're not really Jews. The scriptures say that in um, the second chapter of, uh, of the book of the Apocalypse uh, in um, Revelation, right? So um, I think, I think uh, the cabal uh, ultimately is behind this directing the whole thing. Father, how do we... Uh that then what means do we have when it seems you know we have socialism where the government controls all of these these uh means of production and they uh, all of these businesses and and everything else and they have so many of their puppets in place they've spent years and years and years of infiltrating governments and well you can call it government i don't consider it government though you know, it's, um any more than i would consider the directory of the french revolution or the mountain uh, to be the government, uh, a legitimate government. Because I always think of government as being a legitimate ruling power that rules by law. And they don't rule by law, they rule by mandate, right? like dictators. So <clears throat> I would call them the regimes, you know, <laughs> the regimes set up by these people. Um, well, ultimately, I mean, they, they're, they're playing this now for all they're worth because they're using technology. I mean, we, we should actually link to uh, a talk given by one of the operatives of the World Economic Forum at the 2018 meeting yeah. of the WEF, where he talks about creating a new humanity and saying this new humanity will be our own creation. It will be the province of those who own the data to be able to, to not only... Uh, Form, they will engineer a new human being, a new humanity going forward. He even starts out in the section that I heard saying that we are probably among the very last of the Homo sapiens because we're going to go on to the next level where we create the next generation. We design them from the data and uh, not, not from a god, you know, like in the highlands, he says, beyond the clouds, but we ourselves. And in other words, saying we are the new gods, and we who have the data, we will now uh, manufacture, as it were, design the new, um, the new human race. Um, I, I wonder if we could link to that. I think people would find it very instructive, but I think they'd find it also rather, well, alarmingly instructive. <clears throat> but you know what? Um, when, I, when I see all this happening, I guess I react a bit differently from some people. Some people are, are very alarmed to the point of uh, despairing. 
it has exactly the opposite effect on me. Because as far as I'm concerned, if I, I needed confirmation for the gospel, I don't. But if I needed confirmation for what our Lord has taught us in the gospel, what the Catholic Church has taught us throughout the, the centuries, this would be confirmation of it all. If I needed confirmation for what Our Lady said at Lourdes, at, at La Salette, at, at Fatima, this is, this is perfect confirmation for everything they said. Um, it's exactly what you would expect to happen if what we believe is true. And it is confirmation uh, also for those who are you know, kind of unsure of faith and so on, to say, you know, this is prophecy fulfilled. We're, we're watching what God has told us as the fruit of godlessness, and uh, we're seeing it happen before our very eyes, and it is exactly what you'd expect to happen if the Catholic faith is the true faith. And all that the Church has taught us through the centuries, the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ himself is absolutely true. This is exactly what you'd expect to happen. That, uh, well, go to, go to um, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Read what St. Paul says about the coming of the Antichrist. Read uh, any number of sections. Read St. Peter, what he wrote in his epistle. About the time would come when they would turn away from the truth. They turned to fables, having itching ears and so on. And you see, this is really confirmation of Willan. The immorality that we have flung in the face of Almighty God in rejecting the order that He has established in the world when He created us, that immorality is such a horrible, horrible insult to Him. Such an affront. When you think about the billions of blasphemies, sacrileges, and so on being perpetrated. Uh, notably in the Novus Ordo, in the New Order today. Not only pervading in the world, but prevailing in the church, the pseudo-church. It's just astounding only that it's taken us this long to get here. And you wonder why God has put up with all of this for so long. Think about the millions and millions of abortions throughout the entire world, right? For all the last 50, 60 years. Um, and you say, like, you know, how, how could God tolerate us all this time? And, and all we can say is there must be people who are making reparation. There must be just people in the world who are begging God's mercy that God would be willing to endure all of that abuse, as it were. <clears throat> but obviously the time will come when God will say enough. That's what Our Lady said at Fatima, right? And she's holding back the hand of our Lord. So, um, just as we might see what's happening in the world today, there's confirmation of our belief. But, so, it should be confirmation of our trust in our Lord. And he's also told us how it's going to end, how it turns out in the end. He talks about his great victory. We've heard about the triumph of Mary. We've heard about the world finally being, being punished and purged of this evil and a great blossoming of the faith. I mean, we have these prophecies. <clears throat> so uh, if we needed anything as an incentive to believe those prophecies that predict a uh, triumph of, God, of our Lord Jesus Christ as the King, uh, triumph of God and triumph of his church on earth, well, I'd say we have certainly plenty of reason for absolute confidence 
that this will come true. And all we need to do is just be faithful, be true to God during all this time. So um, I would just tell people, um, you know, I mean, we, we see in, in times of, uh, like the darkest moments of history, I mean, you look back and you see the, the persecutions uh, that uh, racked the church for the first 250 years of her existence. I mean, the, the last of the great, 10 great persecutions was the persecution of Diocletian. It was even, even now still referred to as the great persecution because it was so savage. Galerius and, uh, you know, Maximus and so on, Maximinus, they were so savage in their persecution. We're talking about the year 300. Christians didn't know that that was going to be the last great persecution. They had no idea. This had been going on all those centuries. Generation after generation had been racked, you know, had been burned to death, had been fed to the lions and so on. And for all they know, this was just another chapter. And they had no idea how many more chapters of persecution there were going to be. And then Constantine. Who could have foreseen that? Who could have foreseen the rise of Constantine and what that would mean? And how dramatically, practically overnight, everything changed. Literally. I mean, it wasn't that persecution went away. Constantine's associate, Licinius, he also signed the Edict of Milan. Uh, Constantine and Licinius, the two co-emperors, actually signed the Edict of Milan together, um, granting the liberty to you know, the Christians to practice their faith without being molested. What is not often known is that one of the most fierce persecutors, one of the fiercest persecutors of the church under Diocletian, was still using his imperial authority in the year 311, the year before Constantine's great victory at the Milvian Bridge in October of 312. Well, Galerius was still wielding power, and he was one of the most awful persecutors of the church in 311, he became gravely ill, and he issued an edict <clears throat> granting tolerance to the Christians. And he granted them tolerance uh, because he saw that uh, they represented something foreign within the empire, and therefore kind of a threat to the empire, very much like these modern despots today. Oh, you're you know, you're different. You know, you don't think like we do, so you're, you're terrorists. But then he asked the Christians to pray for him because he was gravely ill. He issued that edict, granting them tolerance. This is a year before the, edict of, the victory of Constantine. And within a week or two, he was dead of his disease. Uh, but it's interesting that this terrible persecutor was asking the Christians to pray for him. He recognized, as a polytheist, he might have recognized their God you know, as one of the gods. That's as far as he could think it through, perhaps. But uh, he paid a terrible price um, for what he had done. In any case, um, you, no one could have foreseen Constantine. Um, but, you know, Constantine's victory, 312, Edith and Balayan, 313. Licinius uh, took over the government in the Eastern Empire. He continued persecuting the church. We have great martyrs that come from that time. 
even after the Edict of Milan, the 40 Martyrs of Sebast, March 10th, feast day. Uh, St. Blaise also died in Armenia under Licinius. And uh, so Constantine actually took him out. Took out he was his brother-in-law. He took him out. And you know, by the year 380, we're talking about one lifetime from 313 to the year 380. In the year 380, Theodosius made Christianity the official religion of the empire. Who could have seen that? Certainly not the Christians in the year 310, 311. But they were willing to tough it out as long as God wanted them to. And so we have to accept the fact that God does have a plan for all this. And he is actually even now working out that plan. And that plan includes the final victory of faith, the true faith, the traditional Catholic faith, the true mass, and all the rest. So uh, our task is not to uh, advise God on how to uh, make things turn out right. God can do that without our help. Um, but our role is to be faithful and uh, follow the faith, and that's what we do. As traditional Catholics, that's exactly what we do. So we have to hold fast to that. By the way, you know, Francis has been trying for quite some time now to stop the Latin, the traditional Latin Mass from being offered, even the 1962 liturgy of John the 23rd. <clears throat> and after all the hoopla that has been going on about Francis's efforts here and his, his decrees, uh, traditionis custodes, and so on, supposedly now he's met in the Vatican with the representatives of the fraternity of St. Peter, Supposedly, he's also actually met, we don't know what the result of that was because it's not been announced, with the Society of St. the 10th leadership in the Vatican. And the word we're getting now is that Francis has completely backed off and told them to go ahead and continue using the 1962 liturgy. And, uh, you know, am I hopeful in that? No. I th again, I, I do not trust him. I think we're very foolish for trusting him. He's a modernist, he, and um, as a modernist, he's very devious. He's already shown that. And uh, there's a tactic. I see this as a tactic, and I think those who trust it are being actually lured into trouble. You know, like the truckers. I, I don't consider them... I, I never considered the truckers of Kennedy to be like David to the leftist government under Trudeau, uh, Goliath. Rather, I was afraid that the truckers would be uh, like the into the valley of death rode the 600, the charge of the light brigade. That's what I was afraid was going to happen to them. And I'm afraid similarly that those who trust that they can appease Francis's modernism <clears throat> to find a uh, place of honor for the, even the 1962 Latin Mass, but the non-Novus Ordo, anyway, Latin Mass, I, th I think their trust is misplaced, and I, I fear where it's leading them. And again, I, I pray for them, too. I want them to see their way clearly through this, and I want them to be able to practice the faith in its in integrity, and not just as much as the modernists will allow them to have. So, anyway, that's another aspect of the news right now. Um, so... Okay. Uh, wander quite a bit, yeah. but uh, you're used to that. <laughs> yes, Father, anything else that you'd like to add? Before we close? It's all tied together, though. Yes, definitely. Really? Yeah. No, just have faith and hold on to it for dear life, right? Okay. 
And uh, as uh, St. Paul says, Trete Tradiciones, hold on to the traditions of the faith. And you know you can't go wrong doing that. Hold on. Attend to the traditional Mass and only the traditional Mass offered by traditional priests. Only traditional priests. <clears throat> Not novicial priests who are just moonlighting with traditional Mass. <clears throat> and um, above all, be faithful to our Lord. Pray the Rosary. And uh, pray for our, our country, pray for Canada. Um, in fact, I've, asked, I've been asking people to pray the litany to St. Joseph for the people of Canada right now, at least in Avena, but I'd like to see it continue beyond the nine days because St. Joseph is a principal patron of the Canadian people um, as Canadians. There are a number of really powerful patrons, like the Canadian martyrs, which we call the North American martyrs, uh, St. Isaac Jogues, St. John de Beauf, who was the actual superior. And uh, St. Andre de Beaupre, you know, a great shrine in Canada, many miracles accomplished there. St. Anne, the mother of the Blessed Mother. So all of these are, are patrons of Canada, but uh, St. Joseph, I think, is the principal patron. So please pray to St. Joseph on behalf of the Canadian people. Um, that they know what God wants of them now. And um, to resist uh, the tyranny, because the tyranny is not just a conspiracy against men, it's a conspiracy against God. We recently um, heard a very stirring speech given by a man by the name of Dr. Um, sir, uh, Alan Keyes? Yes, Dr. Alan Keyes. I'm sorry. Uh, kind of senior moment there, obviously. It, uh, Dr. Alan Keyes was in town, really, uh, at the behest of the Cincinnati Right to Life. And we took our 11th, 12th graders to hear him. Um, and uh, Dr. Keyes gave a very stirring speech and answered questions afterward very enthusiastically. Um, and uh, the theme that he had was that this is all happening because men have rejected God. This is a rebellion against God. He, he repeated that over and over again, example after example, talking about the, what's facing us today. And he says it all comes back to the rejection of God and the divine order in his creation. They do not want him. It's like they're crying out in the streets again, we will not have this man to rule over us, away with him, crucify him. So I thought Dr. Key's speech and his points were very powerful. I'd like to have him here to address our own people. So we'll see how that goes in the future. In the meantime, I must ask you to pray for him too, because he's of African-American descent, and I think uh, there's a lot of opposition. People take a lot of abuse for standing up. You know, they're accused of all kinds of things. But I think in his case, he probably takes a lot more abuse than many others just because of the position that he, positions that he takes that are decidedly not politically correct. So uh, please remember him in your prayers as well. Sure. So, uh, and thank you for your support. We appreciate that. Remember the anti-modernist uh, cup that is available uh, through some dear supporters and remember our own um, 
WCFBC Ohio uh, Cup, which is available also. Have we got that worked out yet? Yes, Father. Oh, it is. Yes. So people can actually go ahead and order yes. right now. Yes, Father. Okay, well, thanks for doing that, Tom. Yep. <clears throat> and while you're having your morning coffee, memorize the Beatitudes <laughs> and then put them into practice. That's right. <clears throat> well, Father, thanks for being here tonight. appreciate your time and all that you do. No, Tom, that's mutual. Thank you. <laughs> thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.